This morning, I would like to do an introduction into the first epistle of Peter. I would like to go through this letter together with you since completing the Gospel of Mark. I want to move into 1 Peter and look at this verse by verse. Today we'll do an introduction into Peter. It's important as we look at this epistle that we understand the person who has written this, along with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, but the, the Holy Spirit is working through an individual, and it's important for us to see what Christ has been doing through this individual and how it shapes what, they, what Peter writes in this epistle for us. And, you know, I thought about this as I was going through this. You know, what would, what would I write to Fellowship Church if I could write a letter? If, um, you know, I wasn't able to see you again or if I was in prison and wanted to, to write to you to encourage you in the Lord. Um, that's something to think about. You know, what, what words would you say? What things would you talk about? What is most important? What would come across as most important to you that you would like to convey to the people that you love? And so I think that as we go through this epistle, we see the heart of Peter and his love for Christ, his love for um, the saints of God, his love for them, and, and what, what is precious now to him being an elder man, elderly man, having lived a life of faithfulness to Christ. It's been most likely about 35 years for Peter since the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. What has Peter learned since the time he was with Jesus? What has the Holy Spirit taught him as he has tried to serve him, be faithful to him, and a leader of the church and a servant of, of Christ in the church for these past 35 years, what change do we see in Peter since what we see of him in the gospel accounts and in the book of Acts? So today, by means of introduction into 1 Peter, we'll look briefly at the history of Peter through the gospel accounts and the book of Acts. And then I want to look at some of the main themes that we see in this first letter of Peter as we get a small glimpse into what Christ has taught Peter through his life of service to him, and what we can take from his letter, what we can take from God's word in our life presently. So my proposition for this morning is that we will see that Peter went from his hope being in deliverance from the Romans through the Messiah to his hope being in deliverance from sin through the resurrection of Jesus that leads to an eternal home. Peter's hope changed. His hope was no longer in something temporal or temporal, but his hope was in something eternal, not made with hands. Your hope, my hope, should also be in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and our hope should be in the eternal home he has reserved for us. So we'll just have three headings as we look at this. I want to go quickly so we cover some ground. Our first heading will be Peter in the Gospels. Our second heading will be Peter in Acts. And then our third heading will be Peter in 1 Peter. So number one, Peter in the Gospels. You know, we looked a lot as we were going through the Gospel of Mark about what we saw in the life of, of Peter and the other disciples. But I just want to remind us as we go into this letter about how important these things are as we saw them and as we see them as it relates to the things that he learned and the things that he's going to be uh, saying in his epistle. So the first thing we see, and we'll mainly just be looking out of the Gospel of Mark because that's, that's what we just went through and that's, we also understand that Mark was heavily influenced by the preaching of Peter and the ministry of Peter and many think that um, it was... Through, through this that Mark wrote this through the inspiration of the Spirit, but much of this came from the Apostle Peter. 
But the first thing that we see in the Gospel of Mark is, number one, that Peter was called by Jesus to be his disciple. You remember in Mark chapter 1, that he was one of the first disciples that Jesus called to follow him. It says in Mark 1, 14, and you don't have to turn to all these scriptures because I'm going to try to move fast if you want to. That's fine, but I'm just going to be reading them to give us uh, a, 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 a reminding of these things and also a context into what we're going into. But Peter was a fisherman, and he was a fisherman with his brother Andrew, and they were in business with James and John and their father Zebedee. It says in Mark 1.14, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. That's another name for Peter. He has the name Simon Peter. Also Cephas uh, was the name given to him. He was Simon and his Andrew brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This is what forever changed Peter's life. With the things that we see that, 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 that Peter does and says from this point forward and the things that we will see in his letter that he writes about, this is because of the calling that Jesus had in his life. Jesus called Peter to follow him and that was the greatest calling that he had ever received. And it changed his life forever. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So Peter remained a fisherman. But just, he was no longer fishing. He was fishing for men. He was no longer fishing for fish. He was fishing for men and women, for souls. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. And Peter spends the rest of his life following, becoming a follower and a disciple and a lover of Jesus Christ. And even though he has ups and downs, he follows Christ to the end. He's faithful to Christ. Christ is faithful to him. He perseveres in the faith. So he's a fisherman by trade. And so was his brother Andrew and his close friends, James and John. And Christ will use this in their lives as they would become leaders of other men, leaders of the other apostles and leaders of the early church. Well, next we see that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law in Mark 1, 29 through 31. Peter, Jesus was showing Peter that he cared not only for him, but he cared for his family by healing his mother-in-law of a fever. No doubt Peter was greatly encouraged by this. As he saw Jesus healing others, he also saw Jesus heal one in his own family and how much that would encourage and mean to him, how much that would encourage him and mean to him. Well, next time we see is in Mark chapter 3, we see that Jesus sends Peter along with the other 12 apostles uh, or that he chooses these 12 men as his apostles, we see this in Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, And Jesus went up on a mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, it's mentioned first, Peter, to one to whom he gave the name Peter. And then the rest of the apostles. Jesus sets them apart from others to be his special special messengers, the ones that he would send out to preach, the one that he would give power to, to heal sicknesses and even cast out demons. And then we see Jesus doing this the first time that Mark and um, the first time that Peter and other the other apostles are sent out, we see in Mark chapter 6 In verse 7 it says, And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and to put on two tunics. 
Also, he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, then you depart from there. Shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Can you imagine Peter for the first time going out and... And Jesus saying, I'm sending you out now. You've been hearing me preach. You've been hearing me teach. You've been seeing me do these things. Now I'm sending you out and I'm telling you to preach this message and I'm giving you power to heal and to cast out demons. Can you imagine what they felt? I mean, imagine what Peter felt. I'm sure he felt inadequate. I'm sure he felt uh, afraid. I'm sure he, he, he um, you know, doubted himself. But we see the encouragement that they got from this, how that when they went out and did this, that Jesus Christ empowered them with his spirit. And as they went out, they were able to preach boldly. They were able to heal sicknesses and diseases, and they were able to cast out spirits. And how this was Jesus Christ preparing Peter and the other apostles for when he would leave, how that they would be the leaders of the church, the early church. Well, next important event that we see in the life of Peter, we will turn to the Gospel of Matthew because it's not recorded in Mark what Peter does on this occasion. But it's really amazing as we consider Peter and the faith that he had. Peter was not a perfect individual. He was a sinner. Peter had flaws, as we see and will see. But Peter believed in Jesus Christ. He had complete faith and trust in him. And we see that on this one occasion where the disciples are out in the midst of the sea and there's a storm that comes and the sea is raging and the ship is being tossed to and fro and the disciples are afraid for their lives. And then they see Jesus coming in the midst of the storm, walking on the water. Amazing. A miracle. Matthew 14, 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side and he, while he sent the multitude away, multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up onto a mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now I just can't imagine the faith that that took to for Peter to, to, to request that. I mean, why not just wait for Jesus to come up and get in the boat? Why, why ask for him to come out into the water in the midst of this raging sea? So he said, come. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous and he was afraid and began to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So we see in this, into a glimpse into Peter's heart, that he is a man full of faith, but he is also a man full of fear. He was a man full of faith, but he was also a man full of fear, doubting himself looking at his surroundings, worrying about what was going to happen. Jesus says, keep your eye on me, keep your faith in me, keep your trust in me. Don't look around you, don't look at your circumstances. And this was an important Peter lesson that Peter learned. Next thing that we see is very important in the life of Peter, and it's in Mark chapter 8. This is the great confession of Peter. The great confession of faith of Peter in who Christ is. It says in Mark eight twenty seven. Now Jesus and his disciples 
went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. He said unto them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, it says in another text. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Peter was bold. Peter had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, it had been revealed to Peter who Christ was. You remember, Jesus would go on to say in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, Blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed this to you. So Peter was blessed because he had been given the revelation of who Christ was. And he stood up with boldness. We see the leadership of Peter in this occasion and on other occasions, that he is the first one to speak up. He is the first one to say something. He declares his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and saw who he truly was. And he would spend his life telling others about who this Christ was. But right after that, we see not just the faith of Peter, but we see, again, the fear of Peter. We see what he was struggling with, his doubts. Right after this occasion of giving this great declaration of faith in who Christ was, it says that Jesus, verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and be- began to rebuke him. Peter was so adamant, he, was, he, 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 was so, he felt so strongly that, that he didn't want Christ to suffer. He, he didn't want the rejection that he was going to suffer. He didn't want... The, the persecution that was going to come. He did not want Christ to have to suffer and die. He was so adamant about it that he takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. But when he, Jesus, had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So we see Peter was not perfect, that he was still struggling with this confused hope. He was still struggling with fear, with worry, with fear of man. But Jesus is patient with Peter. Jesus is kind to Peter. Even though though this rebuke is harsh, it is kind because he's pointing out to Peter his fault. He's pointing out to him this, this speck that is in his eye, this beam even that is in his eye that he needs to deal with. Peter was struggling with the will of God, with the sovereign will of God. You see, Peter, Peter had a plan. Peter, Peter had an expectation. And now Jesus is saying, I'm sorry, Peter, but your expectation is wrong. Your plan is, is wrong. Your plan is different than the Father's plan. The, the Father's plan is for me to suffer and for me to be rejected and for me to die, to give my life. It's all for a purpose and a plan. But Peter had to learn to accept it. He doesn't accept the suffering He doesn't want to accept the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. Well, after this, we have another important occasion in the life of the Apostle Peter, and that's in Mark chapter 9 and verse 2. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up into a mountain, and he is transfigured before them. And Peter sees just a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ. He sees him in a a glorified form. And he's full of awe and he's full of wonder and he's full of amazement. He's given a glimpse of the resurrected Christ 
of the, of the, of the future Christ. And he's marveled and he's dumbfounded and he doesn't even know what to say, but he knows that Jesus Christ is to be worshipped and to be praised. This was something that, that Jesus just revealed to Peter, James, and John, not to the others. But this is, I want you to remember this about the glory of Jesus Christ being shown to Peter because this impacted his life. And we're going to see it throughout his letter, his epistle. He talks a lot about glory because he saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and it changed a lot in him and in his heart and in his life. Well, next thing that we see is later on when we're getting close to the end, we're getting close to the arrest and trial of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has sat down with the disciples the night of his betrayal to keep and institute the Lord's Supper. And Jesus goes to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus goes to humble himself and show himself as a servant to his apostles and giving them this example as he was leaving. He wanted to give them this example of humility and of service and of preferring others before one another. But he comes to Peter and, 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 and Peter says, no, Jesus, I don't want you to wash my feet. You can't wash my feet. I need to wash your feet. So we, see, we do see some humility in that, but we also see yet that he is not willing to accept Jesus as the suffering servant. He just wants Jesus to be the Messiah. He wants Jesus to be the ruler. He wants him to be the deliverer of the oppressed. But Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then Peter says, don't just wash my feet, but wash my head and my hands and all of me because I want to have a part with you. He loved Christ. Peter loved Christ. He just wasn't willing to accept God's way. And so, after this, after they keep the Lord's Supper, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to forsake him. He's going to flee. And not only that, Peter, he calls out Peter, and Peter alone, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny, you're going to disown me. You're going to deny that you even know me. Three times. Not just once, not just twice, but three times. And Peter cannot accept this. He cannot believe this. Mark 14, 27. Then Jesus said to him, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter stands up, and here we see Peter's pride. Peter's pride in himself. He was zealous. He was zealous. He, he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. He believed that he would let nothing happen to him. But he's also full of pride. And he hasn't submitted and he's, he's not humble. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus, what you just said is not true. I know better than you. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. So they didn't believe that they would forsake Christ. They did not believe, Peter did not believe he would deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Furthest thing from his mind, he said, I'll go to prison, I'll die. But he needed to learn a lesson. And this was part of the Father's plan. It was part of Christ's plan. Well, then Jesus goes out to pray after the communion. He's in agony. He's in pain. He's, de- he's in depression. He's sweating great drops of blood. He's spending time in prayer. This is right before his arrest. He takes Peter, James, and John, the three again, the one who had gone out to see his glory on the mountain. He takes them 
into the garden to pray. And it tells us that Peter, James, and John, while Jesus is out there in agony praying, that they're there sleeping. They cannot watch but one hour with the Lord Jesus Christ. They were weak in the flesh. Jesus would say, look, your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You've got to understand the weakness of your flesh. You've got to depend more on the spirit. And so we find Peter sleeping on Jesus when Jesus is praying. Not there for them, not there for him in his darkest hour. Well, after this, when Judas and the band of soldiers come to arrest Jesus Christ, we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, that now Peter is ready to fight. He's ready to defend the Lord Jesus Christ. He's ready to stop anyone who's trying to take him. John 18 tells us that when they came... Jesus said, who are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I'm he. They fell back to the ground. And they got back up again. It says in verse 10, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the, high priest ser- struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall not I drink the cup which my father has given me? I'm willing to accept the Father's plan. I'm willing to accept suffering and laying down my life. But Peter, you're not willing yet. Put up your sword. I'm willing. I have to suffer. I I must needs suffer. Peter had not yet submitted to the plan. He had not yet accepted what needed to happen. And so we know ultimately this would lead to, after Jesus was arrested and Peter followed, We read of in the Gospel of Luke, in the darkest days of Peter's life, in the darkest hour of his walk with the Lord. It tells us in Luke chapter 22, in verse 54, Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them, and a certain servant girl, seeing him, as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man also was with him, but he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter failed. Peter let Christ down. Peter sinned. Greatly against his Lord. But he wept bitterly over it because he was a true believer, because he was a true lover of Jesus Christ. And when he saw what he had done, it grieved his heart and his soul. But it's important for us to remember that about Peter. And he's going to bring that up and he's going to encourage you. Look, In your Christian walk, sometimes you're going to fail. You're going to fall. You're going to succumb to your weakness and to sin. But grieve bitterly over it. Weep over it and repent. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful and He will restore those that are His. And we see that in the life of Peter. We see after Jesus Christ is raised from the dead on Sunday morning that the word comes to Peter and it tells us that Peter runs to the tomb. He runs to the tomb and John outruns him to the tomb. But when Peter gets there, he goes in and he looks 
And Jesus Christ is not there. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He's, he's, he doesn't fully understand. He's still filled with, with doubt. But Jesus Christ has risen. What He said has come true. But yet, He still doesn't fully accept it or trust in it. It tells us that when Mary first came giving a report about the fact that she saw the risen Christ, it says the disciples didn't believe her. They wouldn't accept it. They were filled with such grief and such doubt, they said it can't be true. Peter runs to the tomb, doesn't see the Lord Jesus Christ there. He's wondering what has happened. And then we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, In verse 1 it says, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias. And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to them, We are going with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! Now when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it off, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciple came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. Now Peter just left the fish behind, left John to deal with it, and uh, he went to see Jesus. He was so excited, he wanted to go see him. And Jesus eats with them and talks with them, reveals himself to them again. And then we find after this that Jesus restores Peter. In John 15, verse 15, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. You see, Peter, I called you to follow me and you were following me. But you stumbled and you fell. But I'm restoring you and I'm telling you again, follow me. So we see this roller coaster of things happening in the life of the Apostle Peter in the Gospels. Number two, we see a different Peter as we go into Acts. Peter is now the leader, Peter is bold, Peter accepts suffering, his hope. Has changed. His hope is no longer in natural Israel. His hope is no longer in a, in, a, in a redeemer, in a king that will deliver them from oppression. He has seen the risen Christ. His hope has been changed. And now he sees the church of the living, the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the spiritual kingdom that Christ has set up, and that this is what all his energy was to be focused in, and that he had an eternal home. In the heavens. But now he is the leader. We see him standing up. He's leading the apostles. Acts 1.15 And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. 
in chapter 2 and verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and started to preach about Jesus Christ to his brothers and sisters who were listening to him. We see in his message, his first message here in Acts chapter 2, that he has now accepted God's will and he has submitted to it concerning Jesus Christ. Now he understands. Verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Peter says, I now understand this was God's predetermined, predestinated plan. That Christ suffer and die and rise again. But you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified him, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Peter has accepted God's sovereign will. And now his hope is in the resurrected, ascended, and reigning Christ. Look at the way he ends this. This Jesus, the one that David prophesied about, the son of David, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. They all saw Him. They all ate with Him. They all fellowship with Him. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter is convinced with all his fiber, all his being, that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He saw it. He proved it. It was vindicated to him by his resurrection and ascension into heaven. And he says, this was God's sovereign purpose and plan. Nothing can stop it. And now my hope is in this resurrected and reigning king of the universe. And what did he say? You need to bow the knee to him because he's king. You need to repent and believe in him and follow him because he's all of our hopes and dreams. We see in Acts chapter 3 that Peter still has this healing power. Him and John are able to heal this man that comes to the temple. Amazing healing power. We see him continuing to preach about Christ occasion after occasion after occasion without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, proving that he was the Christ and that he was the fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures. He was the Messiah. He was the one they had been waiting for. He preaches the exclusivity of Christ. He says in in, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is salvation in none other than Jesus Christ. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, the name and under the authority of Jesus Christ. Peter understood the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as Savior and that our faith must be in Christ alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone, for the glory of God alone. We see that Peter was so filled with the Holy Spirit that it says that people just... Hope that his shadow, the shadow of Peter would pass by and that his very shadow would bring healing to them. That's the power of Christ in a man. It's not the power of Peter at all. We know Peter by himself is just a man, just a sinner, just weak. But filled with the glory of the resurrected Christ, people were healed by his shadow. Maybe that would encourage you and I a little bit because we're just like Peter. Now we're not apostles like Peter was but we're still filled with the same Holy Spirit. And if we're filled with that Spirit, we're going to have an impact on other people's lives like Peter did and the other apostles did. In Acts chapter 5, we see that he no longer is fearing men and what might happen to them, but instead now he is fearing God above men. When they say, stop preaching about Jesus Christ, Stop doing this or we're going to throw you in prison. We're going to beat you. We're going to throw you in prison. Peter says to them, in my own words, 
We fear God more than we fear you. We must obey God rather than obey you and you're telling us to do this. So he fears God rather than men were in the garden. He was fearing man more than he was fearing God. And then Peter's whole world changes when he's given this vision in Acts chapter 10 of this man, this Gentile, that he's to go to and he's to preach the gospel to a Gentile. He's to enter into a Gentile's house and he's to preach the gospel. And this Gentile is going to be a believer and as much of his family is going to be a believer. And Paul is going to be a, an apostle to the... Peter is going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. You know, at first Peter says, no, I can't do this. This is unclean. We're not touching anything unclean. God says, don't call anything that I've made clean unclean. If I've said it's clean, it's clean. You just go and you preach. And he went and he preached. And the Lord blessed it. And he saved many there. And then he went and testified to the other Jews what God had done in saving the Gentiles. So Peter is known to the apostles to the Jews and Paul is known to the, as the apostles to the Gentiles. But Peter also ended up preaching to the Gentiles. And this changed him a lot in his opinion of the purpose and plan of God in salvation and how it would be it to all kinds of people. And then last thing we see, we see Peter being delivered from prison in Acts chapter 12 how he was in prison there and, and he was just miraculously delivered and he shows up at the house where they're all praying and they don't believe it's Peter. How could this happen? But God miraculously delivers him from prison. And I love how one of the last things we see in the book of Acts of Peter is when they're having the council in Jerusalem uh, in Acts chapter 15 and there's this debate about between Jews and Gentiles and should Gentile Christians be circumcised and should they follow the law of Moses? Peter is the one, along with James, who gets up and says, it's the grace of God that saves Gentiles and Jews. It it doesn't have anything to do with their flesh. It doesn't have anything to do with their upbringing. It is all according to the grace of God. And shouldn't Gentiles be saved by the grace of God just as much as Jews? And so that's one of the last things that we see in the book of Acts. So we see a... We see a transformation. We see much of the same things, but we also see a transformation in many of the areas in that he was weak. And then number three, just quickly, as we whet our appetite for many of the things that we're going to look at in 1 Peter. Number three, Peter in 1 Peter. Where is Peter at now? He's a man older in age. He's a man who is given his life in service to Jesus Christ. He has been persecuted. He has been beaten. He has been put into prison. He has served churches with his whole heart and his whole life. What now are the things that are most important, most precious to Peter? And real quickly, I'm just going to walk through these. You can write them down if you want. If not, we'll be going through them as we go through the epistle. But I want you to take encouragement for these things for your life as we go forward. Because... This was Peter's letter to you. This was, this was the letter that the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write to you. As you're, whatever you're going through today, whatever you're struggling with, whatever point you're at in your life, this is for you. Peter is the apostle number one of hope. Of hope. This is how he starts out the letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What a way to start out a letter. This is the hope, the living hope that we have. It comes through the fact that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and is sitting at the right hand of God. And He has reserved a place for you in heaven. And there's nothing that can touch that. And so you can have a living hope in the midst of a dying world because nothing can touch our eternal home. 
that Jesus Christ has secured for us. So he's the, he's the, he becomes the messenger of hope. Verse 13, he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And one of the most important verses in this epistle is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready to tell people why you have hope in the midst of a hopeless world. Number two, he's the apostle of grace. It's a message of grace. Starts it out in the very first part of it saying grace, mercy, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. He ends the letter by saying in verse 10 of chapter 5, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. We see grace... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We see grace mentioned eight times in this epistle. Peter was one who needed grace. He was the one who was shown grace. And he understands how grace important is in your life. You serve a God of grace. Do you fall? Do you stumble? Do you sin? Yes. But God is gracious. Hallelujah. It's a message about the Trinity. The Trinity is all, uh, all throughout this epistle. And it starts at the very beginning. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. If you want to show what you believe, you you show it in the very first part of your letter. And he says, we believe in a triune God who is unified in the salvation of their people. The salvation in 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 the election, in the work of sanctification, in the work of, of perseverance and holiness in their lives. This is all part, and, and this is all throughout the letter. The Father, Jesus Christ, the Spirit, we see it time and time again. Number four, precious things. Things that had now become precious to Peter that were different than what was precious to him before Christ. He says in verse 7 that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold. Faith is more valuable to Peter than money, than riches, than prosperity, than security. Is it to you? Is it to me? Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The, the blood of Christ was precious to Peter because of what it accomplished. Chapter 2, verse 4, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Verse 6, quoting from the Old Testament, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes in him will by no, me- by no means be put to shame. Jesus Christ was precious to Peter. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people, the people of God, are precious and was precious to Peter and should be precious to us. The people of God that are called by his name, that are set apart for his service. Chapter 3, verse 4, talking about women, talking about wives. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Meekness, humility, the inner man, the inner woman, that's what's precious to God. Your soul. Remember, God said, talking about David, when David was chosen as king over his brothers, God does not look on the outward appearance, 
but he looks at the inward man. He looks at the heart. What's precious to him is your heart, is your soul, is your inward being. Sometimes we focus a lot on the outward and not more on the inward. And Peter, Peter will encourage you in that. Number five, it's a message. This is just like Paul's epistles and, uh, and, and the other ones that we read. Faith. Faith is of vital importance. He mentions faith over and over and over and over again, along with obedience. Faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. If you believe in Christ, you'll be obeying Christ. You'll be following Christ. Love. Faith, hope, and love. He mentions love over seven times in this epistle. So number six was love. Number seven, and this is a big one for Peter, and it's one of the major themes of this epistle, is suffering. He's the apostle of suffering. And he speaks to those that are suffering with a message of hope. In chapter 1, verse 11, in chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, and in verse 23, in chapter 3, in verse 14, 17, and 18, in chapter 4, verse 1, 15, 16, and 19, in chapter 5, in verse 1 and 9. He talks about suffering, trials, and testing. That, that's where the rubber meets the road. You say you believe in Christ. You say you trust in Christ. You say you've been saved by grace. Well, what about when suffering comes? What about when persecution comes? What about when you're tested and you're tried? then true character will be revealed. And he shows how God is with us if we're truly his. He's with us through the sufferings. He holds our hand and he helps us get through. But he encourages us to keep our eyes upon him. And he actually encourages us to have joy and rejoice in the midst of of suffering. Especially when it's suffering for our faith in Christ. Number eight, submission. Peter learned submission by the things he was taught and suffered. And so he encourages us to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his plan and to his way, to his sovereign leading in our lives. Number nine, the will of God. Now, the will of God, he has accepted it and it is important to him that we follow the will of God in our life. He mentions that phrase, the will of God, four times in this epistle. And then number ten, glory. We'll see him mentioning it time and time and time again. The glory that shall be revealed. The glory that we'll see in Christ. The glory that awaits. The glory that will be produced in you, even in, in through a life of suffering. Glory to suffer for Christ. Glory to live for Christ. Glory to die for Christ. And glory is reserved for you in heaven. Glory is what awaits as we sang about in our last song. What a day that will be. What a day that will be when we see His glory and when that glory is also revealed in us. There are many other things, but these are the main ones. Here's my prayer for you as we close. May your hope rest in the completed and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. May your hope rest in the risen and ruling and reigning Christ. And may you hope in His certain and quick return. And may you hope in the glory that shall be revealed. That is my prayer for you.